0: Hello, you're listening to Do Yourself A Favour, the podcast about learning from experience and the things we do to make our lives easier. My name's Tim Sisney from Make Work Work Better, and each episode I'll be talking to my guests about their epiphanies, their inspirations, and the magic of their workflow. I'm here this week with Charlie Beach. Hello, Charlie. Hello. Would you like to introduce yourself to everybody?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, so, Charlie Beach from Rose support. So, we're, I'm the founder of this, it, Space basically an business development business. We've been running this for a couple of months now. Before, before that, I had a job. And before that, was 15 years in
0: professional rugby. So, it's been an interesting life to this point. And, I mean, we talked a bit about this before. And one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on is that the way that you've brought, you know, what you learnt when you were the rugby player, into, into business. How do, how do you see that that, that through line for you?
1: It's, it's been a really interesting one because you leave rugby not that you know anything. Like, it's a terrifying step. Well, it'll be the same for any sports person. It's a terrifying step when you realise you've got to go make your way in the real world. You see, you don't think you've got any qualifications, any skills, nothing that you can lend from one to the other. So it's it's quite a bumpy ride, to be honest. I landed in business coaching, Which made sense in kind of a coaching front, because coaching is coaching. It doesn't matter what it is, it's the back end of things, it's a delivery system, it's not the thing itself. So that made sense in a way, though I wasn't a coach, I was sort of the business development end, which is what I'm still doing now. But it's taken me the best part of a year, I think, to realise sort of just how much that rugby and sport prepared me for a life in in the working world. And the two aren't as different as we thought they were, because it's that. That same dedication, that same commitment, that same sort of willingness to run through brick walls and do something over and over again and get it right and look back at what you've done and improve and get better and all those things that got me forward in rugby, being in sport, have also really useful in this as well. So yeah, it's it's been hard, and I know a lot of people find it hard. And I know it's a sort of a big, almost a, so call it a pandemic ironic at the minute but what covid's done to the professional sporting world i think there's gonna be a lot of people going through this journey where they're trying to work out one to the other thinking they've got less than they actually have and i think they're all yeah, you know, with a bit of help could
0: do some real real good things in the world so and yeah been, been a very interesting one lovely so so let's crack on then with the with the question so do yourself a favor is about things that we've learned through experience things that change the way we think about things and things that make our lives easier that's the, that's why we're here. So, would you talk a little bit about something you wish you'd known earlier? Something you wish you'd learnt, learnt earlier?
1: Just how much fun it is working for yourself. Okay. I think I spent a year sort of terrified of it. Uh, I'll be honest, I took the plunge three, nearly four months ago now. And I've loved every second of it. So, almost... I did well to learn what I did in the place. I, I learned it. I think I took a lot from that year. However, there came a point where... I should have gone, and I didn't, and I hung around for a bit, and
0: yeah. If I'd known that sooner, I'd have gone then. Okay, so you, you, do you feel like there was a that was still a necessary step between professional rugby and doing what you're doing now? Do you think you could have gone straight into working for yourself after rugby, or did you you need a bit of a like salary job to cover it? Uh
1: yeah, I think I I personally needed a bit because I, you know, I, I worked a couple of jobs while I was playing rugby to try and boost things up. You need to know, you need to learn. Like I'm not arrogant enough to suggest I could have just stepped straight out of one and dived into the other. Some people do, but some people have backings in that that kind of world anywhere. They've got people around them who can do it. For me, sort of by myself as, as I was at the time, um, I needed a level of of support and I think the first sort of six months of that year were really good for me in terms of learning and learning about myself and learning the business world and sort of being within coaching obviously meet a lot of people and it's it's been very good for me but there came a point where that went sour and I think that's the point where had I I don't think I learned anything new from that point other than how not to do things and how not to treat people so I just think at that point I could have turned and gone by myself but that kind of fear of I don't know enough. I'm not ready, so it mm-hmm. held me back. Um, and then when it was forced upon me, I stood stood up and sort of went out and did what I did. But yeah, I, th- I don't know. I I think it was a good stepping stone for. Waited there a little bit too long.
0: Okay. And on that transition from from when you finished rugby into into the the, the, the you know full time you know salary man kind of role, mm. what did, what did you take from from that? Was there anything in was there anything that, that was like a shock, or a, or you needed to work through in order to feel like you were able to, to give it everything you got? How different was it for you?
1: It's a weird one because in a lot of ways, I wrote a brief article on it when I first started out because there are some things that are so similar. It's it's unreal. Like weirdly enough, rugby players, sports people, quite good with contracts because we're used to working contractually. We used to have a sort of a couple of years signed up here. That's you know that sort of thing there. So. In terms of turning up, doing as you're supposed to do, handling the paperwork, doing all that, a lot of it made sense. And bank holidays continue to throw me because they <laughs> exist and everything. I, I don't know. Like, you know, I was the guy playing on Boxing Day, so other people had sport to watch. You know, so it's it, little things like that are weird. Um, the biggest parts of the mentality, though, like you come from an environment where everyone's there to be the very best they can be because they want to be the one on the on the pitch on the weekend to be in an environment where people are quite happy doing what they do and just sort of getting through and I'm earning enough, I'm doing enough, I'm happy with life, I'm happy to go and buy. It's, it's just it's a different mentality. That was sort of coming to terms with that almost, where I'm constantly trying to push and push and push and realizing that's not, as an employee, mm-hmm. not really your role. Your role as an employee is to do, which seems... Common sense, but at the time it wasn't really how I'd been wired. Yeah, it took a little while to adjust to that, to be honest.
0: And now you're a business owner. How are you? Are you finding that same drive and push is is benefiting you? How are you taking that that forward?
1: Yeah, I'd say it is, and I think that's where you know, for someone who is built to push and drive, I think being a business owner is the natural step because. Yeah, i mean i suppose you could argue sort of sales teams because they constantly push out and they're given sales targets and giving something to run at you could argue that they haven't sort of want to push the boundaries it would would work but then you have to do things down a certain process which again is some wanting to push the boundary like in terms of you know take control of something themselves own it and take it the direction that it goes i think owning your own business is more or less the only way you can do that and still sort of stay true to yourself so i mean I'm i'm finding it really beneficial i mean don't get me wrong. I need plenty of people around me to formalise it, tell me if it's a good idea or not, write down how I've done it, sort of you know make sure it all lines up properly, and I'm not doing anything silly. But so I'm not saying it's the the perfect way of doing things. But I find this to be far more fulfilling than, mm-hmm. than having a job was.
0: What? How would you describe the? I'm just interested by something you were just saying then about you know about holidays and about the 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 difference of professional sport versus versus employment. What's What's work-life balance like as a professional sport? Is there such a thing?
1: Yes and no. It's a really odd one because, and this is where I've had conversations over the years, in terms of the hours you work, you don't work as many as you would an office job. So like formally being at your training ground training, there's a couple of long days in the week, you know, without getting really in depth. If you play on a Saturday, you'll have Sunday off, Mondays is Very light day. You're in, but it's very light because you're still recovering. Tuesday's a full day. Wednesday's off entirely. Thursday's usually a slightly shorter day. Friday, you're in for an hour. So in terms of the hours you're at home as opposed to at work, you've probably got a better work-life balance in terms of just pure timings. In terms of mentally, you never really put it down because – like, you having a day off to go to a wedding is a day that your competition is in training, which is a day that they jump ahead of you in a pecking or You have a curry on a Friday night. That's an extra bit of, you know, fact you need to run off to keep yourself in shape. You know, you don't do a run of the morning. That's a bit of fitness that you're missing that somebody else might put on. Every single day you weighed in, every single day you measured, every single sort of moment, that sort of six month appraisal assessment you might get in the business. Like you're getting that every week as to whether you're the person that's picked or not for the team. Mm-hmm. And it's a snowball effect as well. If you're the guy who's starting and you're doing well, you're gonna start the following week. So it doesn't matter how good you are, the person that's on the bench or not even in the squad, if you're not in the you know, the the shop window as such, you're never getting picked up again. So there's there's a real fear of falling behind because once you're not playing. You know, the excuses are then used in terms of, well, you know, you're not match ready or you haven't had any, you know, you're not a decent role. It's very, very hard to smash back through into that team once you... So you never want to be the guy to miss a, miss a step. You never want to show a sign of weakness, which having a day off here having having, you know, an hour off to go pick, you know, the kids up early or going to watch a school play or having a wedding or even, you know, don't get me wrong, they're very understanding around funerals and weddings and things. They do tend to let you off for those, but not too many, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's physically work-life balance is pretty good you're at home quite a lot you're around mentally I think it's you know only in the way of a bit again with a business owner who carries the, the stresses and the and the worries home every single night and sits mm-hmm. there worrying about them just all out straight back on it I think that's the only transferable, almost you know people who'd understand that kind of mentality is, as someone who's fully employed you do your job you go home you think about it a bit, you just you switch off because you've done your job, you know you've done it well, it'll be there tomorrow. Whereas, you know, like a business and like I say, when you're trying to keep on a, something, every second you're not working on it's so a second somebody else could be stealing the yard on you. So.
0: And it's in, it took me a minute when you were talking there, when you said like, if you're, if you're a, a wedding for the day and that's a day that the competition's training, you're not talking about like the opposing team, you're talking about the other I, people in your team. team yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: that's your teammates. I mean, it's, and this and this is again it's a it's an odd situation where it almost seems counterintuitive to some people, but it's something I think when you look around the people who I think are doing business right, I think they understand I would and have worked very successfully with people who are in my position who are actively gunning for the same position as me. okay The better I make them, the better they make me because as we all know, if you play your kid at whatever it is you're playing at when they're five, it's very easy to beat them. Your skills aren't pushed that hard. You're not really training yourself. You're not getting better. You're just winning a game. It's like, whereas if you're playing against your brother, who has always pushed you really hard, you're going to play the best of whatever that game is you've ever done. It's the same with business. It's the same with anything. Like, if you're against people who are good, they're going to get the best out of you. And for me, like, I'm a very competitive person by nature. And it's like, I want to win, knowing that there were no excuses why the other person didn't win. Uh-huh. so, oh, I was having a bad day, or you knew this or you didn't hang that, or I didn't know those were the rules, or, you know you heard this was now nah. give them every tool I've got, I' tell them every secret I've got I' tell them everything on it, and all I do is out outwork' them anyway, mm-hmm. outplay them anyway, because there when i when I know they're at hundred percent, if I then go win, we can both look each other in the eyes, and I'm like, right, I've. yeah, so I will help anyone you know you know I sitting there talking to people in. Business development, I help people around anything. I'm like, I'll give anyone a step up that are needing things because at the end of the day, I want to win knowing I've done everything, not Mm -hmm. that I've tripped someone up to get over the line. I want to know that I've won because I'm the best one out there. So that drives in me, that sort of pushes in me. But yeah, when you talk to other people about helping out people who are, you know, your active competition, it can seem quite strange for, for some people because that doesn't normally happen in life. Like, if you're in a sales department or going for the sort of bonus for the, the top seven mm-hmm. that month, giving the other guys some hints and tips on how to sell is probably not seen as the normal way of doing things.
0: Also, uh, having never, ever beaten my my seven-year-old at una I, <laughs> I, I can't identify with, with much of what you've just said. Um, yeah, I,
1: well, my kids were the same. He played some outrageous Jenga moves that no one, no adult, <laughs> block sticking out all sorts of angles. Oh, they
0: the tiny fingers. Like, they're made for it. Like just like je- tiny fingers of Jenga yeah it's yeah it's it's terrifying so what would you say was and we we've talked about this this question started off as being about uh, as being about books but actually across the course of asking it to a lot of people it's been it's been books it's been conversations it's been concepts it's 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 been a bit broader than that but what was something that really changed the way that you thought about things or change the direction that you, you push things in. Was there a, like epiphany moment for you that that did that? I
1: think one of the, one of the biggest things for me, and it's, it's less in. You're There are some, like you say, there's some brilliant books out there, and and depending on where you are in life and what you need to know, the right book at the right time is amazing. And I think a lot of it lands with people. It's it's more the, the situation you're in as a person when you hear something. I think that's that's the real relevance to it. So when you're looking for great answers on sales or some brilliant stuffs out there, or you're trying to find this. The thing that's always got me is this mentality because it doesn't matter what you're doing in life. Your mentality is what carries you through. Like, mm-hmm. it's, the, it's the number one across the board, no matter what's going on. If your mind's right, everything else works. You know, you look at what you do. The whole thing is about making the whole thing you know, work better so that it works so that you can, in your own mind, chill out a bit and actually really get on with what it is you want to be doing rather than getting caught up in the house and, the, you know, clicking through these millions of emails that you've managed to let junk up in your inbox, all these sorts of things. I was in a webinar and not one of the most inspiring speakers I've ever heard, but someone that you knew his stuff, but just didn't really relay it across as well as others have done. So I wouldn't, you know, sit there and, you know, it was an internal one as well. So it's not someone that sort of recorded thing or anything else, but um, like I say, it's a bumpy road coming out of professional sport. You do sometimes wonder if you've done the right thing. You wonder where you, know, where you are in life. You've gone from being a peak performer to being someone who's on the bottom rung of a ladder somewhere else. It's quite hard to manage, and, you know, you worry about all sorts of things, stuff got on in personal life. And um, it was a diagram he'd taken from sort of Eastern philosophies, and it was of a tree, and it was talking about extrinsic motivators being like the sunlight hitting the leaves, adds energy, tree grows. But it's about having the strong internal motivators, i.e. like your roots are sunk deep to look mm-hmm. after. Because when summer months go and the leaves fall down and there's no sunshine hitting the leaves, you've got to look after yourself. You've got to be that strong tree in the winter. And I, so I was sitting there thinking, that's great. And, you know, it was a lovely diagram, really good thing. And it just said, look, at the end of the day, no one controls your mindset but you. And it just hit me because it is, you, you allow, whatever else happens in life, anything that happens to you, your perception of that event affects how you react to it mm-hmm. and how long you carry that pain or that reaction for and how you let that affect your choices from that point onwards, all of it, it's all down to you. There's no hard and fast rules. There's nothing to make sure they said this, therefore you have to do that, or they were mean to you, therefore you've got to be angry for the rest of the day, you know, or that nice thing happened. And therefore you can still give up for three weeks. Like, there's, there's no – there's nothing. You know, you're doing the same thing to the 10 people who get 10 different reactions, and they've all chosen to act the way they have afterwards. And it's like that, that really set me loose on a lot of levels because it's like no one does control what I do with me. No one controls my mindset but me. So if I choose to have a positive mindset, if I choose to drive forward and help people, if I choose to succeed – I won't say I'll be on it 100% of the time, like we're human, we can't all, you know, just, oh, I'm going to be amazing and never have a bad thought in my life. That's not what it means, it's just that as things hit you, you sit and look at it and you go, right, what am I going to do with this? Yeah. I can allow it to stick me into a tailspin and, you know, pick up a bottle of whiskey on the way over and, and <laughs> feel bad about life in general for a couple of days, or I can pick myself back up and go, right, how am I going to use this? It really hit me. I don't know, it was, just, it was a simple line at a, at a time, I think I was sat there looking for it, but it really did stick.
0: It's that difference between reacting and responding, isn't it? It's it's giving yourself that that just that moment for like your grown up brain to kick in. Just you know, just put put the chimp to one side for for a little bit and like let yourself um, actually respond in a in a measured way rather than, than reacting. And it's you know, it's easier said than done, but oh, yeah. you know you you can choose. You you can't do anything about those external factors, but you can choose how you how you respond to them. If yeah. you're able to, if you're able to stop yourself or pause yourself from reacting to them in in the way that your your chimp brains.
1: Yeah, it's, it's one of the big one of the big lessons I brought across, and it's the one thing I roll down to, and there's a hundred different forms of it expressed in different ways.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but control the controllables.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I and mean, it's. it's Control what you can. I think it's even like a prayer that I was watching a film recently, I had like an AA meeting at the beginning. They recite it as a prayer, which is something like the strength to change the things I can change, and the courage to let go of the things that I can't, and the wisdom to know which is which. It's something Seren- those
0: Serenity ends. prayer, yeah. The serenity there you prayer.
1: Go. Like I can only control very few things in this world. So getting all head up and, and bent out of shape about things I can't control doesn't do anyone any good whatsoever, especially not me. So it's like, look, what can I do here? You know, as you say, like you'll react and you can't help your reactions, they're built into you and that's how that goes. And you know, there's times where you react and then realise afterwards you shouldn't have done, and it's learning from those and apologising for whatever's gone on in the meantime. But those bits where you can stop it in its tracks and go, No, hang on a second, you don't need to do it this way and move on a better, better sort of form, that's fine. In all things, like if I can do something about it, I will. If I, you know, and that's, that's the whole point of it. If it's something that's within my realm of control, I'll do it. It's the stuff outside of it. The longer I hold on to it, the more it weighs me down. It's, just, it's sure. as simple as that. And it's just recognizing is this something I can directly control? No. Can I influence it? Because sometimes your actions will influence something directly. You know, you talk about, like the referee, like I can't control the referee's decisions. And yet, if I'm screaming in his ear, all game, he's likely to get very annoyed with me and start putting decisions against me that otherwise might have gone the other way. Mm-hmm. We're all human, and 50-50s go one way or the other. And if I know one team's been great to me and the other team's been paying me out all game, I'm probably likely to go against the team that are pay me out. Mm-hmm. So it's like I can influence him, but I can't control it. So my actions do have an external influence on others sort of thing, but really can only control me, can only control what I do, so I look after that, manage the influence it has on others, and let go of everything else. And on the days I keep on top of that, they're really good days. The days I start bogged down and worried about the other bits, those are the bad ones. So mm-hmm. realising that that's within your control. It's one of the few things that's always within your control. No one can
0: change what's in your head, but you. Yeah. Thanks, Charlie. So we're getting now into a little bit about insight into your into your workflow and things that make your lives easier, It's like your life easier. Mm-hmm. So... um. What's a tool or a thing that you use every day that's not your phone or your life?
1: Headset, little okay. earpiece headsets. Yeah, really useful just because it you leaves your hands free. Well, this is a really mm-hmm. simple thing to say. But when you're chatting on a phone all day and you've got jobs to do, if you can be typing at the same time, you know, doing your, you know, because a lot, a lot of what I do involves being on a phone. So when you're talking to people, when you're taking notes, to actually have your hands free to do that's great rather than one holding it against your head and trying to do it in one hand, it just, just slows you down. And the fact they switch into music in between calls is quite nice as well. So I actually <laughs> got entertained along the way. So yeah, and I think, to be honest, other than a laptop and a phone, it's pretty much the only other thing I use. Do,
0: do you have a uh, a preferred or recommended headset that you would go to? or are you, are you quite agnostic?
1: I mean, I don't know. I mean, brands have never been my thing. If, mm-hmm. it, if it works, it works. Uh, I'm quite happy with it. I couldn't care less what it looks like. I think I found these on... Amazon about a year ago, Empow there. Okay. It's just a little bugging earpiece. You barely even notice you've got it in. Other people can't really see it, just a little thing in your ear, but you click it to, to answer phone calls and you click it again, it switches back to music and it hooks up to your phone and it's, it's genuinely brilliant. Like 30 quid's worth of equipment. They're probably even cheaper now. They've probably released 10 updates. And it's just mm. Brilliant thing, really clever.
0: The, the thing that I found really helpful about having a headset when you work from in kind of like the current, our current situation is that with, especially during the pandemic with kids around, often the room in which I would answer the phone would not be the room in which I would want to be to have the conversation. So being <laughs> able to move somewhere else is super helpful. But the other thing is, if you're, when you, so things like checking your calendar, okay, my calendar's on my phone, as is on all the other devices. Have, until I got a headset, actually checking my calendar whilst somebody on, that was on the phone was like this, I, you know, I'd probably a third of the time I'd hang up on them, you know, I, it would be a proper sort of like juggling act to make sure that, that everything was going right. Whereas actually, you yeah, know, when your hands are free and you're not trying to talk to them and also inevitably you put them on speaker, someone's going to scream at you in the background or something. So, yeah it's, yeah, it's it does make a massive difference, especially I think the more we rely on our phones and our equipment to be pretty much everything and not just, yeah. you know, single single use devices. So what was the last really shiny thing that you bought or acquired that you were kind of like, oh, that was a... I'm really glad I... The last really... See, like I say, for my
1: work, I don't need a lot. Mm -hmm. So I just sort of plough on. And one thing I've always done in life a little bit too much is just ploughed on with what I need to do and forgotten that it's actually quite fun to have fun along the way as well. Mm -hmm. See, the last shiny, literally shiny thing I picked up was an axe. I started doing axe throwing, which is... Absolutely glorious. So that was that was uh, a couple couple months back. Started okay. doing it, and then I got I got one for Christmas. So I have got a little tomahawks out somewhere, which is quite fun.
0: So talk me through. You started doing axe throwing. How how did what what what's the yeah, story there? It
1: was it was a networking meeting back in the bit of COVID where they let us out. It was last summer. They, so it was a it was a sort of social meeting because obviously the world's left us where it's left us. And I firmly believe, as we move more online in work, and I do think it's here to stay, we need to make sure we're having those social meetings in, in person. Mm-hmm. Someone had a mate who has an axe throwing range, so we went up and threw axes, and I absolutely loved it. <laughs> it was as simple as that, really. Like I just, Fabulous. you know, when you when you're a thumping great sort of twenty stone bloke, there's very few things in life, you know, that that fit you. Like you always, don't tend to fit. You know, you stand you stand in a lift and the uh, the manufacturer tells you that eight people weigh 640 kilos. And I'm like, well, I take up 140 of that by myself. So <laughs> it's not really built for you, this world. So when someone gives you a thumping great two-hander axe and goes, throw it into that giant thing over there, it just makes you feel nice and warm inside, you know?
0: Yeah, okay. I, I have to say, I didn't realize that, like I knew that, <laughs> I, I knew axe, uh, axe throwing was a thing and I, I didn't realize it was a bit like, I don't know, fishing. Or like those kind of sports where there was kit that you know you could buy and hang like have at home.
1: Oh yeah, no, wow. I mean okay. most of the most of the targets are just tree stumps someone stuck up on a wall somewhere and painted up. You don't need a lot, you know, and just axes. I mean, people have sort of knives and and things they throw as well. But yeah, seeing you know one hand or a big double hand throwing axes. I mean, it's the same as normal axes, really. I mean, I suppose there's... <laughs> proper that, competition ones that are weighted right but i mean it's all fun isn't it like, that was gonna
0: that was gonna be my next question what is the difference between a, a, a throwing axe and, and uh, just an axe
1: yeah well the, the one i've got's got like a carbon fiber handle and it's got a little bit sticking out a, a spike on the back end as well so it can hit it top end or back end okay uh, which is obviously makes things a bit easier but in terms of the rest of it i mean i have had fun throwing an actual hatchet as well so, i mean it's just I suppose someone technical could give you a technical answer. For me, I'm just a giant kid in the toy shop
0: just going, throw it a wall. <laughs> Lovely. That's, that's one of the most terrifying things I've ever heard. <laughs> Great stuff. Thank you, Charlie. So last question, then. I'd like you to finish the sentence. Do yourself a favour and... I Genuinely, I could say
1: like, the whole point of that conversation in terms of the axe throwing and other things I'm picking, I put them in it. Like Life's bloody serious. There's a lot going on we all I think at times put our heads down and think if I just work really, really, really hard, I'll get where I want to go. I think sometimes it's about sort of being present, realizing that your life's happening around you and if you spend too many too much time with it focusing on the boring stuff, you'll miss out on all the good stuff along. So yeah, work hard, but play just as hard on the other side. Like go, do something that puts a smile on your face. If it's as daft as that growing or as lovely as sitting down with your kid and playing Uno, like do something every day that puts a smile on your face.
0: Thank you, Charlie. Thank you. Where can people find you?
1: Yeah, LinkedIn is the best place at the minute. Website's still in development. But If you go on LinkedIn and, and chat me on there, you'll find me eventually. So just Charlie
0: Beach, your front row support. And that's Beach Like the Tree, not Like the Sun. Yeah, the beach Like the Tree is a sandy place yeah. Thank you very much, Charlie, for coming and do yourself a favour. And uh, thank you for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. been listening to do yourself a favor the podcast about learning from experience and the things we do to make our lives easier brought to you by make work work better my name is Tim Sismi from make work work better our theme tune is by the titanics talk to you again soon